Hey Joe, it's Lyran. Long time no message. I am driving to Michigan for my grandpa's funeral and I'm about halfway there. It's a 12 hour drive and I'm listening to some podcasts and I hear you say that you don't turn on your camera so people can't see you. And I'm thinking to myself, that's just cruelty. Why would you not allow people the pleasure of your visage? Why punish us because of your cruel twist of fate? I promise it makes the game a more enriching experience to see your facial expressions. Plus, you're just cute as a bug's ear. Anyway, I hope that you are doing well. Um, I am kind of limping along right now. I have just fallen completely out of podcasts at this point. I went on a radio drama jag and I don't know if I'll be back. Anyway, talk to you soon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hindsightless, the sporadic podcast where I talk about life, role-playing games, or whatever else might be running around inside of my head, but mostly role-playing games, because I think they're pretty special. It's really quite simple. If you call me cute as a bug's ear, you, you get to go and bright a place at the start of the show. Liren, thank you so much for that message. That was amazing. Uh, hearing your voice today just brightened my day up. That was great. Thank you so much. Sorry to hear about your granddad. That's a bummer. Uh, yeah, 12 hours. That's a long drive. I hope it went well. I hope it went well. Don't worry about podcasting. You'll get back to it if you get back to it. If not, not. You know, it's all good. It's just nice to hear from you every once in a while. And that was just a perfect message to start off this contentious and spicy episode. <laughs> People had more to say about min-maxing, about fictional characters, about teamwork, about everything, folks. People have things to say, and we're going to get to those things. And after the calls... We're going to head into Hindsightless After Dark. We're going to have a frank discussion about an adult RPG that I just picked up. <laughs> so if that's something that does not interest you at all, uh, yeah, stop listening after the messages. I, I will give another warning before we get to that. But in order to get to that, we first have to get these calls taken care of because folks have stuff to say and I want you to hear it. So let's get into it. All right. This first message is from Kit from KC. Uh, he actually sent in two messages, but Anchor did that amazing thing that it does sometimes with his first message and totally messed it up. You can barely hear it. I've listened to it a few times. And so what? from what I took away kit and you can call in and tell me if I'm getting this wrong. But what kit's basically saying in his first message is that my example of a wizard choosing the fireball spell is not an example of power gaming or min maxing. It's just a sensible choice for a wizard to make. And so now he's going to talk about some of the characters that I've played and relate that to this power gaming min maxing discussion. So kit, take it away, my friend. So yeah, you've played a rogue, uh, a ranger, uh, and some others that I can't remember right at this moment, as people are taking photos of the house in front of me for some strange reason. Anyway, uh, yeah, so you play you play more naturalistically. You play a class you want and a character that you want to play. Uh, you have a ranger that has uh, a great sword and another weapon. Uh, can't remember, but. A power gamer would say, no, you got to take a, a scimitar because that's the most advantageous weapon for a ranger. So in my opinion, power gaming is when people subvert natural character decisions so that they can get the number higher and do the most damage or have the most resistance or the most number of feats or whatever like that. Playing naturalistically. I like that, Kit. Yeah, I am a naturalistic player. I play what feels right to me. But I definitely do make choices to be as good as I can at what I think I want to get into. Like with my <clears throat> half-orc 
ranger right now, Skinner, that I'm playing, I think I'm going to go down the intimidation route uh, and be able to demoralize my enemies. Because in Pathfinder, when you're in combat, as a um, as a standard action, you can make an intimidate check against one of your enemies to demoralize them, which gives them a penalty on attacks and saving throws for a round or maybe longer. And so, yeah, I'm going to go down that route and get really good at it and take feats. And uh, I took a trait that would help me get better at it. Plus, I'm a half-orc, so I get a bonus anyway. So I will eventually be really good at this. <clears throat> but, yeah, I like the idea of, you know, power gaming, which is often used in a negative context. Character optimization, I guess, is the more... It's the nicer way to call it that. <laughs> but yeah, you know, making choices just for the bonuses, that's not something you want to play. I, I guess that's the thing out there that's just so foreign to me that it, I don't even think about it, right? Like, that's just not something I would ever do is like play a, play a race class combo that I wasn't interested in just to get some weird bonuses because i you can get those bonuses probably somewhere else <laughs> you know um because yeah like pat there's just so many things you could do like with the ranger and the scimitar like you were talking about you could absolutely go a dexterity based ranger and go off of weapon finesse and take feats like that there are feats that will let you treat a scimitar as a light weapon so you could use it with weapon finesse. You could totally go that route because then you'd be good at shooting a bow and arrow too. But I'm going the strength route, which some might say isn't optimal. I say bullshit to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to prove them wrong. That's another thing I like doing is proving the optimizer is wrong the power gamer is wrong uh if they say there's only one way to go in pathfinder i say boo i say no way <laughs> anyway dude thank you carl or kit carl's next damn it got those k's crossed up in my brain space anyway kit thank you very much for the messages sorry that first one didn't work anchor does that shit sometimes and it sucks i hate it but yeah, keep calling in, man. I love hearing from you, dude. I mentioned Carl earlier, so let's get into Carl. Carl's got some stuff to say, so let's hear it. I know players don't like a Mary Sue or a character that could do everything. But as a GM, I honestly don't mind. I think as a player myself, what gets on me the most, and honestly, I don't mind somebody super competent, but hey, if they want to do everything and make all the roles, that's fine. I mean, I think that's on the GM to adjudicate uh, the spotlight. What gets me on my nerves, especially when people quote-unquote role-play, is how much they steal the spotlight and overthink things and always overplan things and overact things and never get anything done. And I'm, I like action. I want, you know, I want to see this like a... I don't mind the build-up if you're doing an investigation to some sort of... Marshall payout, but man, stop talking and do something. All right. Nice, dude. Yeah, Carl, I absolutely hear you. As a player, one of the things that drives me bonkers is when, or even as a dungeon master, is when everyone's sitting around the table and you're planning out your mission or whatever, you're planning what you're going to do, and you more or less come to a decision. And then one of the players throws in something else and then the whole discussion starts up over again and you just go in these circular discussions. I hate that. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you on that one. Um, I don't necessarily think that it should be entirely on the dungeon master to make sure that a player isn't stealing the spotlight. Um, I mean, obviously... The dungeon master, you know, has a little more say, but ultimately it should be on the player themselves to not steal the spotlight. Like if they have it in their minds to not steal the spotlight and to be a good team player. And as I said in my last episode, <laughs> 
which came out this morning at time of recording. Um, yeah, sometimes being a good team player isn't being always being the best. Sometimes it's playing that supporting role. And knowing when to do that is an important part, I think, of being a good player. Knowing that it's not a cool thing to steal the spotlight is an important part of being a good player. You know, there's a lot, a lot, a ton, way too much Dungeon Master advice out there. And not nearly enough on how to be a good player advice. And yeah, that's my prime piece of advice on how to be a good player. Is be a good teammate. Think about yourself and how you fit in your character. And how you fit into the team. And how you can best help the team. And how the team can help best you. And what you can all do together to make the whole mightier than the sum of its goddamn parts. That's what it's all about for me. And yeah, man, you know, I hear you. It's good to get to the action, but I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if you would like, if you would like my, <laughs> what playing in one of my long-term games. Cause in my home game, dude, there is a lot of talking. <laughs> There's a lot of times where, you know, the scene is just, a PC and an NPC talking or the party talking to some NPCs or the party talking to each other, you know, there'll be a three hour session sometimes of just a shopping trip. Cause the players are super into it, picking out their different amazing outfits and putting on fashion shows for each other and getting served mimosas by the crazy shopkeeper. Shit. One of the problems of recording this on my phone is that when I get phone calls, it cuts off my recording with no no warning or anything. And worst of all, it was a damn work call on my day off. I got to learn how to like undo Zoom on my days off. I don't know how to sign out. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, Carl, all that said, all that stuff I said before. I also tailor my games to my players. So if we, you and I were ever in a long-term campaign together and I was running the game, I would absolutely tailor it to fit with all the players of that game. You know, so if someone wasn't into a certain aspect of something, we don't really engage with that. We engage with this other stuff over here. You know, that's, I, 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 I want everyone at the table to have as much fun as possible. Yeah. So I would absolutely change my game if you weren't into that kind of that kind of talking and planning. Because uh, I know there are a million people in the world that are not. <laughs> oh, man. I am a weird dungeon master. <laughs> but anyway, Carl, you got more to say about uh, Conan and how he may or may not be a Mary Sue. So, dude, take it away. I don't know. I think Robert Howard, while he made Conan a super martial character, he did have flaws. He drank a lot. He was a womanizer. But the other things got him into trouble. He was arrogant and overconfident. He lost the love of his life, Belit, because of his overconfidence. So, uh, yeah, he's got some flaws. But you're right. He's damn good with the sword. And uh, has, you know, negative 10 armor class, totally naked with just a loincloth. He's also an amazing general, an incredible leader of men, super persuasive, crazy dexy, uh, super nimble, uh, an incredible constitution, able to consume massive amounts of alcohol and endure massive amounts of damage and hardships like all of his flaws, as we'll talk about later on uh, when we're talking to Jason, they're all role-playing flaws. They're not character creation flaws. Because there's no arguing that Conan's stats, all of them, are insanely good. <laughs> he's smart. He's strong. He's nimble. Yeah, he's wise. He's charismatic. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want for the guy? He's got it all. He's the whole package. And God, in the fiction that these games are trying to emulate, 
the characters are generally like that. They all survive. Like, yeah, in, you know, OD&D and early D&D, characters die all the time and it's hard and it's gritty and stuff. We're emulating the fiction. What fiction? <laughs> Where are these books where the characters in the stories are constantly dying? Are you emulating, like, Game of Thrones? Because <laughs> that ain't in Appendix N. <laughs> Certainly is not in my appendix then. No, but yeah, man. I think Conan is a prime example of a character, of a really well-built, well-rounded character. He's a prime example that it is possible to min-max and power game and optimize, but still be an interesting character and have flaws. And have weaknesses that you just add for flavor and for story hooks and to be more interesting, to have a more interesting character. But this whole discussion is awesome and I can talk about books and stuff all day. I love it. And it sort of leads us into a message I received from Taylor in an unusual fashion. So Blind Rat, take it away. All right, I'm going to do a little something different here this time. So in this whole conversation about min-maxing, I received a tweet on the topic. Uh, it's from Taylor of Cleric's Wear Ringmail. Uh, for whatever reason, Anchor wasn't letting him send me a message, so he uh, sent me a tweet. It was in a conversation between Bandit's Keep and me and Minion and Taylor. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read his tweet about min-maxing to me, and then I'll respond to it, and we'll treat it like it's just a regular call-in. Okay, so reading aloud is my strong suit. Here we go. I disagree. Again, we're talking about min-maxing and how characters with good attributes in a fantasy world would probably head out adventuring. I disagree. If I have an 18 intelligence, why would I risk my life when I could go to medical school and live a comfortable life back in civilization. Likewise, if I have a three but am a pooper scooper, am I content with poop shoveling for the rest of my life? Take a chance! Exclamation point. Awesome. Thank you, Taylor. That was great. I would say, first off, are there medical schools in your fantasy world? Because, again, we're talking about a fantasy world. A world full of magic where people with high intelligence can become really powerful wizards. Are there also medical schools? <laughs> Do doctors in those world make a lot of money? <laughs> Even if they did, <laughs> I would still say, given the potential to become a very, very powerful wizard or a doctor, I think most people would choose to become a very powerful wizard. Because magic lets you shape reality and do crazy otherworldly shit. So yeah, I think they would go out adventuring. Because the magic would also let you protect yourself. Because you're well suited for the adventure. For the adventuring lifestyle. And then for your other point, if you have a three, but were a pooper scooper, would you be content? And to that I say, if... Your threes in intelligence, but you have been poop. You've been, you know, shoveling shit for your whole life. You got these huge arms. You're super strong, and you want to be a fighter. Hell yeah, get out there, take a chance. <laughs> I'm all about that because the three intelligence is not going to slow you down that much as a fighter. If you're with a party, if you're by yourself, not a good idea because you're an idiot and you're going to get tricked and die super easily. Somebody's going to fool you and set you up and it's just a bad call. But if you're a part of a party, you go for it, man. <laughs> you take a chance. Like, and if we want to take it back to the real world, we can look at like professional athletes. I'll bring them up again. These are people whose attributes are honed to peak performance and they risk their health they risk their safety because 
They love it. It's exciting. And the money's good. You know? It's, in a lot of cases, it's more money than they would have been able to make in their mundane life if they were just having a regular job. So, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it tracks. And certainly, in the fiction, in the fiction that these games are supposed to emulate, it tracks. You know, like I talked about before, Conan, he does not have a bad stat at all. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Taylor, thank you. Uh, I don't love text conversations. They're hard for me, especially on Twitter, where you're not able to go back and edit your tweets. Uh, at least on Discord, I can go back and edit my fuck-ups, but on Twitter, I can't really, so... Getting in these sort of in-depth discussions on Twitter is not my favorite thing. So I'm, I'm bringing it over here. But I appreciate your contributions, Taylor. And sorry that Anchor was being lame and not letting you send me a message. That would have been dope. But anyway, dude, thanks again. And uh, yeah, I'm next, I think, <laughs> I think we got some words from Jason. Jason, take it away, man. Hold up, folks. While I was sleeping, a slew of messages from Taylor came through. So I'm I'm putting them in here. Uh, his first message that he sent was just a recap of the questions he asked on Twitter that I've already discussed. So I'll include the rest of the messages after this. All right, Taylor, keep going, man. And now to get on to the main point of what I actually disagree with. What you are talking about and what the call-ins are talking about in terms of min-maxing, I don't think that's min-maxing. If I roll a character with a high strength and con, and then I make him into a fighter, that's not min-maxing. That's making a choice based on the game that I'm playing. At the same time, if I want to play a spellcaster, and there is a race available that gets a bonus to intelligence... I can pick that race. That's not min-maxing. That's simply playing the game. Yeah, dude, you and Kit are right on the same page with the um, definition of min-maxing. You know, it gets thrown around weird. It's like one of those terms that means different things to different people. <laughs> kind of like, I don't know, OSR? <laughs> but, dude... Right. Like, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Making optimal choices or smart decisions during character creation isn't necessarily min-maxing. I, I agree. I agree with that. Obviously, I agree with that. But, you know, just to put that out there, I, I hear what you're saying, but keep going, man. So, so to go with Jason's example, say we have a Spanish conquest Mesoamerican setting, and the players are uh, on the side of the Spaniards. So they can play a Spaniard with a steel sword, or they can play a uh, Mayan ally uh, fighting against the Aztecs. So these are likely going to be different things. The Spaniard is going to have steel armor, the steel sword, that may be your tank type character, and the Jaguar warrior, obviously he's going to wear feathers and not uh, not a lot of armor, and he's going to have an obsidian sword, which can hurt people, but it's going to break if it hits the steel sword. So if your player is a normal player, and they want to play a tank type, they're going to grab the Spaniard, or if they want to be a fast attack type, they're going to pick the Jaguar warrior. Uh, the min-maxer, on the other hand, is going to insist on a point buy. They're going to put all of their points into strength and dex, and they're going to dump that into the Jaguar Warrior, and they're, they're going to forego charisma, they're going to forego uh, intelligence. None of that matters, only the uh, damage output that that character is able to create. So the min-maxer sacrifices the role-play aspect. The min-maxer doesn't see it as a character, and more so as a challenge to make the character as effective as is possible. So, how is this different than players making informed decisions? Intent. A player making an informed decision will put more points in climb if they keep encountering cliffs and ladders. A min-maxer 
is someone who will try to break the system. Someone who puts points into skills or buys feats or moves stats around with the intent to turn the character into a pawn and at the expense of the milieu or at the expense of the theme. All right, I got to jump in again. Sorry. <laughs> so a couple things. One, uh, I believe that there is a false dichotomy here that using that min-maxing in the definition that you're talking about, Taylor, like where you, you know, and that kit mentions where you subvert expectations, you subvert uh, naturalistic choices to go for the, be able to do the most damage or whatever. So even in those terms, it is absolutely possible to build a character like that and still roleplay that character. One does not preclude the other, as I've <laughs> said recently. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. It can. It can affect the way somebody roleplays, but that's on the player, not on the style, if that makes sense, you know, like... I'll use me as an example. I am my own best example because <laughs> I know myself the best. I can build a very powerful Pathfinder character taking the best choices, the most optimal choices, disregarding other options and stuff, totally min-maxing my character, but then roleplay the shit out of that character. <laughs> Which leads me to the other thing uh, that I wanted to talk about is judging people's intent. That's tricky. <laughs> That's very tricky. Um, and judging their impact on the game is more important there than judging their intent. Because like I said, I can build a crazy, insane Pathfinder character, but my intent is never to disrupt the game or ruin anybody else's fun. My intent is to have a lot of fun. My impact on the game will be, you know, hopefully minimal in the sense of disruption, in the sense of taking away other people's fun. So yeah, I don't know. Judging intent, I I don't love judging people's intent. I don't want to have to think about what their intent is. I want to think about what their impact is. That's 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 more important to me. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, sorry, this is all coming in really early in the morning before work. Let's get back to Taylor. So to conclude this rambling series of voicemails left over the course of several hours, I divide players into four broad categories in this regard. First, there are people who do things with their character to the detriment of the party intentionally, building something wrong, making bad choices, because that's what my character would do. I hate those people. While it may be appropriate to the milieu, why are you making the game harder when it is already hard enough? Second, you have people who make informed decisions based on the framework to create an effective character. This, I would argue, is what people talk about when they say character optimization. For a long time, I said care-op was a euphemism for min-maxing for ivory tower play, but that's really not the case. Making the best decision to support an end is realistic. If I want to be an astronaut, I'm going to make decisions that make me better at astronauting. Third, people who take advantage of the system, who sacrifice other aspects of their character explicitly to promote that one-trick pony. This is where the term min-max comes from. You apply the minimum in other stuff, and you apply the maximum to make your one trick work better. Four, people who are here because they like your taste in beer and are munching on the pretzels at the table. Arguably, I'm one of those players. Um, I make a character and then I don't worry too much about it, though I do stay engaged and enjoy the setting and story as it emerges. That's big in the OSR-style games, I think. Stats and builds matter less in BX than in 5e or Pathfinder, but... Anyway, that's not to poop on uh, styles of play, but to, ad 
to admit that there are people who enjoy different things. Nice, dude. So <laughs> I also do not like player type one. I love player type two and four. And I don't really have any problem necessarily with player type three. There could be issues there, but then again, there could be issues with any type. So, yeah, I don't know. Because uh, as Barney will talk about in just a second, well, I'll, 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 let, I'll let Barney get to the point. <laughs> Taylor, thank you for those calls, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, sorry to hear about your fever. I don't know if that's in one of these messages or another one <laughs> that I didn't. I don't know where anything is anymore. Anyway, Taylor, thank you, man. Barney, what do you got to say about breaking a game with min-maxing? Hi, Joe. All this discussion about min-maxing and so on, it brings to my mind that one of the things that we're doing through character creation and playing characters, I suppose primarily mechanically, but then also in terms of what what kind of things they do, what seems appropriate for them to do and so on. I think we're I think we're I think we're really digging into rules or the system or the world. We're we're really digging in. So it's not a case of breaking systems or anything like that or you know it shouldn't be about getting the upper hand on other people it's about digging in digging into this these structures and seeing what's possible and surely that's that that chimes with the bigger project of rpgs yeah man we're just digging into the rules we're just exploring the game (laughs) to use some of that business lingo that i love so well we're looking for edge cases. Uh, that one doesn't bother me so bad because edge is cool, although I hate the term bleeding edge. So where am I? I don't even fucking know. All I know is there is nothing inherently wrong with min-maxing. As I've talked about earlier in this episode, and I will probably talk about again later in this episode... You can min-max and still role-play your character. It does not limit you necessarily. Um, Min-maxing, as it turns out, like we heard from Kit and from Taylor, it's a term that can be misused and can have multiple meanings. Like some other terms that have been brought up on this show. OSR. Yeah, man. Um... So anyway, Barney, thank you for the call. I, yeah, we're, there's, oh, min-maxing is not an evil thing. It can be used for evil like any other thing can be. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Barney, thanks for the call. I recorded my outro before this message came in, and I don't want to re-record it. So, Barney, when you hear the outro and your name isn't mentioned, know that you're in my heart know that i thank you for your message and i thank you for your existence man so folks we're getting into some jason territory (laughs) we're getting into jason a fired up jason are y'all ready are y'all ready for fired up jason you don't hear it often but we're about to hear it now so let's get busy hey joe i will not tell you that teamwork is a bad thing because as a proud member of the rat pack I'm on the teamwork train. Choo-choo. But that said, I do have a concern. And I call it a similar concern into Daniel's show, Bandits Keep. And BJ is also part of that, and he's calling into your show. And he calls into mine occasionally, so I'm going to do a segment on my show. I probably should call BJ and so we can spread it to his show, but he hasn't talked about it on his show. So, you know, I didn't know if he wanted to talk about it on his show, and... I didn't know which shows we should talk about it on, so I'm going to leave you this quick call on your show, and I already called Daniel's show, and I'm going to put it on my show, but 
until BJ puts on his show. I'm not going to call him to his show, even though BJ is central in this whole conversation. You got me? You got that, BJ? It's on you, man. Anyhow, my concern is that we have identified a fundamental difference between Gygaxian D&D and Watsy D&D, or post-Gygaxian D&D. And, you know, this might even be early Gygaxian D&D versus later Gygaxian D&D. But we've, we've definitely found a fundamental difference between, say, OD&D and early BX and the later games. And that is, in the earlier games, if you had a fighter with a seven strength, so he had, say, a minus one to hit and damage. But once he goes up in level, that minus one really doesn't mean squat, and it doesn't hurt anything. Whoops, stakes are ready. Let me get them, and I'll be right back. Okay, got the stakes out. So, so where I'm going with this is, especially once you survive a couple levels, in, in the original D&D... It didn't matter if you had a 7 strength or you were a magic user with a 7 intelligence or a 6 intelligence even. It really didn't matter. You could still effectively play that character without a problem and have those cool role-playing abilities or cool role-playing opportunities. And this kind of goes to what Darren was talking about on your show, in your last show. So with what I'm hearing you say and I'm hearing BJ say and I've heard Daniel Norton say is that in 5th edition and possibly other editions, later editions, that you would never play a wizard with a seven intelligence or a fighter with seven strength because it would be too penalizing and it would just, just, just fuck the whole party right up the ass. Man, I am not good at cooking steaks. Like, I'm a pretty good cook. I can cook a lot of different types of food in a lot of different ways. But for whatever reason... Just cooking a steak, I always screw it up somehow, and I don't know how. I try. Even the last time when I tried really hard, it didn't turn out great. <laughs> to be fair, I don't have a grill or a barbecue or whatever you want to call it, depending on where you live, uh, or even a good place to put one if I did have a grill. But still, man, I hope yours turned out really well, uh, although maybe you wanted it more rare. <laughs> steak jokes! What cuts were they, Jason? How were they? Did you put anything on them beforehand? I'll talk cooking as much as I'll talk books and gaming and all that stuff. But yeah, folks, Jason's last message might have been a little shocking, a little bit made you feel a little uncomfortable. And so I just wanted to put everyone at ease, get everyone in the right mindset. So I called a couple of friends to help run us through a little meditation. So everybody just close your eyes and let my friends guide you through some meditation. Is this your homework, Larry? Ask him about the car. Is this yours, Larry? Is this your homework, Larry? Set your car out front. Is this your homework, Larry? We know it's his fucking homework. Where's the fucking money, you little brat? Look, Larry, have you ever heard of Vietnam? You're entering a world of pain, son. We know that this is your homework. We know that you stole a car. And the fucking money. And the fucking money. And... We know that this is your homework. I'm going to cut your dick off, Larry. You're killing your father, Larry. And we all know what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass, much less your party members. And we don't want to do that because then somebody shows up with a baseball bat and beats your car to death. And it just doesn't help tie the room together. So let's not pull the rug out from under the party by playing a stupid wizard in 5th edition. But that really sucks because... You know, sometimes you want to play that stupid wizard. You want to play that bard that can't sing worse shit. Or you want to play that cleric that's really unlikable, right? And in OD&D, you can do that. And you can have fun with it, and you're not screwing your party. It's just role-playing opportunities. Where it sounds like in 5th edition, because you'd screw your buddies, you're not going to do that because you're a team player. You're a member of the Rat Pack. So we're not going to play that stupid wizard or unlikable cleric in 5th edition. So... I realize, you know, we can't use the term gatekeeping here, but it sounds like it's limiting your opportunities and making it less fun. So it seems to me we've identified areas where OD&D is better than 5th edition in these later editions because you have more role-playing opportunities, more character opportunities without, you know, screwing your buddies. Just what I'm hearing from what you guys are saying. Am I wrong? 
In a word, Walter, yes, you are wrong. <laughs> Fifth edition doesn't limit role-playing opportunities by any stretch of the imagination. If you want to play a stupid wizard, nobody is stopping you. It's a choice you have to make. It's a choice you have to make. You can play a wizard with a seven intelligence. You won't be as good as a wizard with a higher intelligence. And if that's okay with you, if that's fine with you, you can play that wizard. And you can still not screw over your party. You don't have to fuck them in the ass. I mean, obviously, unless everyone's consenting. Anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying is you're sort of putting, conflating two things together here. We're talking about combat and role-playing. Those are separate. Those are separate things we're talking about here. Um, yeah, so... You, you can absolutely play a fighter with a 7 strength in 5e because people do it all the time because you could just go dex instead. Now, if you were playing a fighter with a low strength, a low dex, and a low constitution, I, I think your character would die very quick, as, which is true to the fiction of the world. It seems odd that a character with a low strength, low dex, low con would want to be a martial character and get up in the thick of things. But if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. And then they die. And those aren't the heroes stories get told about. And that's totally fine. If you're content with that, go for it. There's nothing about fifth edition or Pathfinder or other editions, 3.5, that limit your role-playing opportunities. It's all about making choices. And that's what this whole thing's all about, man. Uh, if you want to go that route, if you want to play a stupid wizard, you just then need to make... Unless you don't give a shit about your party at all and you don't care and you're more concerned that I want to play a stupid wizard and I don't care about the rest of the party because my fun's more important than their fun. Uh, if that's not your motive, then there are ways to still be helpful spells to take skills. Well, in five E you don't get new skills after character creation, which is another whole beef I have. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Uh, but yeah, there are ways to mitigate that sort of stuff. So no, 5th edition or Pathfinder or whatever does not stop anyone from playing anything. You can play anything. As uh, Kit pointed out earlier, I often play race class combos in Pathfinder that are a little unusual. They're not terrible choices. They're not intentionally bad choices. Because why would you do that? I don't know. Uh, that doesn't sound fun to make a character that's just going to die soon. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but if you play your character smart and you help out your team in other ways, you could use your bonus actions to aid another to give your teammates advantage. You can cast spells that don't have saving throws, you know, buff spells. You can cast a bunch of buff spells that won't be affected by your low intelligence score. There are ways around it. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, man. So, yeah. I loved all your allusions to the rug. I got all of them. I got every single one of them, you clever bastard. And I love them all. And I love you, Jason and Carl and Kit, and Taylor, and especially, especially Liren, because she said I was cute. <laughs> so thank you all for the calls. Thank you all, everybody else, for listening. I love you, too. I love you out there for listening. I see you. I feel you in my hearts. Did I pluralize hearts? <laughs> I don't have to. Um, okay. But this is it. After this, 
we're going to get a little spicy. So, if you be offended by talk of frank sexuality and gaming, you might want to stop here. Because from this point on, we're heading into hindsightless after dark. So here we are, together in hindsightless after dark. Time to unwind, let your hair down, kick off your shoes, pour yourself a glass of wine or bourbon. Just relax and let your worries melt away. <laughs> and if you are made uncomfortable, or offended or not interested at all in topics of a frank and sexual nature, this is your final warning because from here on lies madness. <laughs> I just picked up a new game, a game made by River House Games. I got it on itch.io. It's the first game I've ever bought on itch.io. I didn't even ever really understand what that was before, but I've used it successfully now. Uh, one of the people in the Wheeler Woe Discord posted a link to this game in our uh, in our spicy Discord channel. We have a channel on our Discord that's dedicated to like sexy, funny memes, jokes about sex. Just it's a sexy channel. And someone posted the link to the game with maybe the best title of any game ever. And the title of the game is "Let the Mermaid Touch Your Dick." Maybe. <laughs> The maybe is part of the title. Again, to reiterate, let the mermaid touch your dick, maybe. And holy shit, folks, this game is bonkers. I absolutely love it. <laughs> I love everything about it. It is a GM-less game where you play as a group of mermaids and you've stumbled across a hottie with an amazing dick and you all want to touch it. The game, throughout the rules of the game, throughout the text, uh, which isn't very long, uh, the game reiterates over and over again that everybody has boundaries. You need to establish your boundaries and be cool with everybody's boundaries. Uh, it talks again over and over about how you have the right to change your mind if you don't want to play. One thing I need to reiterate off the top, there is no actual dick touching in the game. No physical, real-life dick touching. <laughs> there is no nudity required to play this game. There are props required, though. Several, several props. <laughs> Bananas are one of the props. Glitter, edible if possible, is another prop that you will need. <laughs> Holy shit. I don't want to talk too much about the real mechanics of the game because like I said it isn't much the PDF is only seven pages and unfortunately the PDF wasn't really accessible uh, the art in it looks cool but I think it was just images and so my screen reader wasn't able to read the PDF however Riverhouse Games is awesome enough to include just a plain text file of the game along with it and I wish more companies would do this because that is so helpful just to have the plain text, no art, no nothing, just basically a Word doc or a PDF of the rules of the game, of all the text of the game, because it makes it so much easier for screen readers. So that was dope. And it's only three pages long and just the text file. So there isn't a whole lot to it. But the way you, <laughs> the way initiative is decided, it, <laughs> it's whoever has touched a dick most recently that is not their own that's who goes first <laughs> and it's genius uh, so it is a GM-less game it is a storytelling game with a very very interesting resolution mechanic <laughs> the most unique resolution mechanic mechanism I have ever seen in a game ever hands down emphasis on the word hands <laughs> This game is everything. The fact that somebody was sitting around 
and was just like, you know what the world needs? The world needs a game about mermaids wanting to touch the dick. <laughs> and they made that game. The game emphasizes the fact that anyone can have a dick and anyone can touch a dick. So it's very gender neutral. It also talks at length about how you need to talk to the players. You know, the group needs to talk both before and after the game. Talk about what worked, what didn't, what was funny, what was sexy, what was uncomfortable, and really talk about it. like the text of the game. It's funny, but it's also it, it takes itself seriously. It is a serious game where it wants people to have fun and be safe. And I just I really appreciate it. It is a super unique game. I've never seen anything like it. I <laughs> the fact that somebody thought of it just makes me happy. It really, really makes me happy. So, yeah, folks, that that's what I'm up to. It talk. The game also talks about how it's good for solo play, because for whatever reason, you might find that not a lot of people want to play it with you. <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, the game has to be played in person because of the way the rec, uh, resolution mechanism works. You you have to be in person in order to do it. And it involves the props, several of the props, and bananas. Um, but it, it's, yeah, it's just fun. It's in good spirits. You know, I appreciate this kind of stuff. A game that takes itself seriously, but not too seriously. A game that shrugs off the sexual mores of our culture and just says, look at this. Look what I made. Uh, go check it out. Itch.io. Uh, Riverhouse Games. Let the mermaid touch your dick, maybe, is the title it once again. <laughs> yeah, it's ten bucks. Um, and it's 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 worth checking out. Just just the intro blurb, even if you don't buy it. Go read the intro blurb because it, it sums up the game pretty perfectly. Anyway, that's up. That's it for me in my weird game rambling. <laughs> Anyone who stayed, hooray. I hope some of you go and check out this game because it's hilarious and awesome. Anyway, folks, that's it. I'm out of here. Peace out. Good night. Bye.